0: Swivel.
1: For every generation, there are events that become a marker in time, experiences so significant that they create two worlds a pre and a post. There is no doubt that the COVID 19 pandemic will be one of those historical markers that is looked back on as a shift in human experience. But for us living it right now, the post-COVID world is yet to come. What we're experiencing is a world we know is going to be permanently impacted, but how much and for how long are still to be determined. In this series, we speak to small business owners, sole traders, community leaders, and experts across a range of industries that have been impacted by the pandemic to understand the specific challenges they faced, celebrate the ways they've persevered, and explore the questions and concerns they have about the challenges that lie ahead. From Swivel Media, I'm Amanda Reedy, and this is Resolve, stories from a Stop Start nation. Before the pandemic hit in 2020, The Australian arts and entertainment sector was a vibrant and thriving industry that contributed around $17 billion per year to the Aussie economy and employed more than 190,000 workers. But when the Australian government introduced severe restrictions to stop the spread of the virus, the arts industry was one of the first and worst affected. 18 months later, the sector is still struggling to survive. Our stories today come from Melbourne, a city known for its lively cultural events, arts community and prolific live music scene. But Melbourne has also spent more days in lockdown than anywhere else in the world, racking up over 260 days across six lockdowns since the pandemic began. In this episode, we talk to Melbourne live venue owners about how they've managed to keep the lights on, even when the stage door remains closed. We start in Melbourne's inner north, where behind a humble facade stands the Old Bar, one of the city's most iconic live music venues. I caught up with owner and band booker, Joel Morrison.
2: I remember the Old Bar from when it first started from being this amazing music community. We had a dream to take it over and just really make it about the band's for the bands. So we wanted people to want to play there. We wanted the crowd to feel a bit of ownership over the venue, to feel like this was their home. It was really important as a good stepping stone where you could play to a good crowd and have quality gear, even if it was, if it was your first ever show. You felt like you deserved the gig and that you were looked after as an artist there.
1: The Old Bar has helped launch the careers of some of Australia's most successful musicians.
2: Some of the bands that we've helped along the way, Smith Street Band, Courtney Barnett used to play residencies by herself on Monday night to about five people, I think, three years ago. Obviously, Cash Savage and The Last Drinks is pretty synonymous with the Old Bar, which is it just blows my mind every time I think of it. There was bands like Graveyard Train, King Gizzard played a lot of early shows. Um, Oh God! There's just there's so many like CW Stone King started there. The list is endless.
1: As a band booker, Joel is always on the lookout for fresh new talent.
2: Helping up and coming bands is one of the main aspects of being a band booker. I I think I've witnessed it and helped be a, a bands move on in their career over the years, which is extremely satisfying and incredible to watch. It's not only a Important thing for the Melbourne music scene. I think it's also an incredibly important thing for a live music venue in general because if you start off a band that you think is really good but they don't have a crowd and then you slowly introduce them to people by putting them on lineups that are guaranteed crowds and then you slowly watch other people sort of cotton onto them and be like, oh, you know, damn, this band's fantastic. And then they get bigger, you get bigger because you get more people coming to your venue. And then also the band starts feeling a little bit of that community ownership, that that feeling of home, which is nothing but incredible. The fact that we still have bands that we helped along the way that are now playing world stages and just headlining festivals that are still coming back to play our shitty little 170 person venue, which is just nuts.
1: The once heaving band room where so many talented musicians got their start is currently closed. Joel has lost count of how many times he's had to cancel and reschedule shows over the past 18 months.
2: It was pretty tough for hospitality because we seem to be the first one hit and the last one to come out of it. And it's got tougher and tougher as it goes along. Each lockdown's a little bit harder because you've got to keep rescheduling all these shows that are people's launches and tours and then you're actually running out of dates. You're pushing everything together and cancelling shows and then that actually leads into the fact of giving bands a leg up. You're going to miss out on that because there's less dates for these younger bands to actually get a show because the few dates that you will have, you're going to be you know, putting on something that you've already booked.
1: And if the pandemic has been tough on an established business like The Old Bar, Imagine what it was like for those just starting out. At the beginning of 2020, Kyron Wheatley, along with his business partners, comedian Reese Nicholson and Alex Dyson, were about to open their dream business, a purpose-built comedy club in Melbourne CBD.:
3: Melbourne had, it had a classic stand-up comedy club and it had some fantastic gigs in bars, some of the best in the world, but it didn't have this third arm, if you will of the Largos in LA, the Soho Theatre in London, Typewriter in LA. So we thought given that the city goes to the comedy festival every year and they know comedy so well and they love it so much that maybe there was potential for a year round venue that sort of caters to that festival, left of field, more comedy savvy audience.
1: The launch was to coincide with the Melbourne International Comedy Festival that was taking place in March.
3: Everything was planned, all the artists were booked, the curtains were ordered, and then, I'm not sure if you've heard of this, COVID-19, which is, it's a technical term, but it means uh, shit, disease, hit... 12 days before we were meant to be opening. And um, Alice Fraser, a comedian, said "Um, laughter is the best medicine, but it's also the best vector. And she's right.
1: So laughter was cancelled, along with everything else, as Prime Minister Scott Morrison announced a nationwide shutdown and a plan to help affected Australians.
3: Today I announce that we are committing $130 billion over the next six months... To support the jobs and livelihoods of what we anticipate of being almost 6 million Australians, we are introducing a $1,500 per fortnight JobKeeper payment to keep Australians in their jobs even when the work may dry
1: up. Along with help from the local council, these payments gave Kyron and his team some time to figure out their next move.
3: We had JobKeeper and the City of Melbourne. And that really took out your two big ongoing costs, rent and wages. And so it was able to successfully hibernate.
1: For the Old Bar JobKeeper was also a lifesaver. It meant they were able to keep their core staff and remain trading for takeaway drinks.
2: We weren't open just to try and make money. Like we were open because we needed to keep our staff morale up. We needed to keep people occupied. You know, We really wanted to take care of, of our staff who we consider our friends and family. We've got a few people that were eligible for it, but luckily, as I said, we, the Old Bar's got a great community around us. So we uh, started a GoFundMe at the very start of the lockdown and raised quite a bit of money that we put all towards the wages of our staff. We were blown away by how much support we got. And it just, it really blew my mind.
1: By May, COVID case numbers were down and restrictions began to ease. So we put away our sourdough starter kits and emerged from lockdown thinking the worst was over. And that's when Kyron and his team decided to officially launch Comedy Republic.
3: I remember how to do this, sure. Uh, Look, it's weird, lockdown, strange. We won't talk about much, let's not dwell. So we were able to do two shows a night, for two nights hosted by Reese Nicholson to 25 people per show because it was still one person per four square metres at the time and at the time we are like this is great this is actually we could do this this is a great show you don't even notice that there's not 150 people here which is of course ridiculous and then on the Monday we all gathered around to watch Daniel Andrews announce a lockdown that we thought would be two weeks and then he said six which of course turned out to be more like four months so for the second time we closed opening weekend
0: the public health team have advised me to uh, reimpose stage three restrictions there is simply no alternative other than thousands of cases and the inevitable tragedy that will come from that
1: Even though both venues were receiving JobKeeper and other business support payments, it was only just enough to keep the proverbial wolf from the door. So during Melbourne's second and longest lockdown, our guests put together some online shows to generate some much-needed income.
3: If we hadn't launched those first four shows, like we, we would have just kept hibernating and not launched the business and the brand at all. You only get one shot at doing that, and even if it's marred, that's still done. And we put together an action plan. What the fuck are we going to do? And we came up with all these possible online shows and all these things that we could do at home and filled my car with lights, cameras, (laughs) green screen and wine. Headed home to build a broadcast studio in the spare room. (laughs) Then we started doing these shows called Locked In Melbourne Tonight. Another strong opinion of ours is that stand-up doesn't work without an audience. It's a very much a back and forth with a crowd. You need someone to laugh for the joke to work, we think. So instead we did these shows like, yeah, Locked in Melbourne Tonight based on Tonight Show, like in Melbourne Tonight, the original Australian Tonight Show. Um, and so we were just locked in Melbourne Tonight and we, you know, we, instead of getting comedians to do stand-up, we just got them to have chats and, you know, funny things that are happening and talking about lockdowns and, Also, someone would sing a song or, you know, do different things like that. That kept us pretty busy, seeing as we were hosts, producers and
2: broadcast engineers.
1: The Old Bars approach was a little different.
2: We did uh, the stupidest thing in the world. We did a Zoom meeting where people could sign up and just watch me, Liam and Singer, get drunk and talk. I don't really remember the end of that. It was just very stupid. Uh, I felt terrible for days afterwards, so I think it must have gone okay. We did a Patreon account where we just like, gathered together as much live footage we, that we could find of bands that had recorded at the old bar, you know. I mean, ask their permission and if we could put it on the website and a lot of people subscribe to that. It all helped pay the bills.
1: Perhaps a little less rock and roll but no less effective was Comedy Republic's membership program, set up to pay the comedians who performed in the online shows.
3: We decided if we just sold these $50 memberships that included two tickets that one day you could use and you could be a founding citizen of the Comedy Republic, that maybe a couple of people would sign up, not just a couple, but a couple of hundred people wanted to do that, which was incredible. It would generate enough money to pay the artists who were on it. That's kind of... What it would do, which was great. It meant that through the lockdown, we were able to send money out to all these sole traders, essentially these comedians who are not going down to do gigs and not doing corporates and not doing any of the work that they would have done previously and not got any of that income.
1: So with some government support and some creative ingenuity, both businesses managed to survive the 112-day lockdown, but it wasn't the case for all. Around 50% of all arts businesses ceased trading during this time, and between 55 and 75% of arts workers lost their jobs. Like many in the industry, our guests believe the government could have done more to keep the arts working throughout the lockdown.
3: I think the work that's gone into supporting Sports in this country demonstrates what could have been done for the arts. And governments have worked extremely hard to make sure that the sports industries, you know, the Olympics, AFL, these sorts of things, could operate through this pandemic, primarily, really, to keep people entertained. And there is a community in this country who also, in addition to sport, like the arts, and would stay indoors to watch the arts as well, to watch theatre, to watch comedy, to see a musician live. And I think that an acknowledgement of that early on could have not only helped keep people indoors, but given the industry which closed first and will open last, a lifeline during this time
2: supporting smaller venues to do live streaming and work out more plans to operate in a COVID safe capacity but just so that these people can still perform and still engage with the arts. The nature of the arts industry is that we're all quite resilient and quite creative so a lot of people have been doing that off their own bat and making these decisions themselves but I don't see why We should have to. There should have been support in keeping people engaging with the venues and with the artists and the performers.
1: Since the pandemic started, the federal government has committed around $900 million to bail out the arts. And the Victorian government has added another $500 million on top of that. And I know those numbers sound impressive, but the arts is a huge sector with a multitude of industries within it. For example, $400 of the federal funding went exclusively towards attracting international film productions to shoot here in Australia. So when you start breaking down those figures, it becomes pretty clear that small creative businesses, performers and creative workers have fallen through the cracks. And the funding that has come through has been largely helped along by advocates in the industry, pushing the government to do more. I spoke with Adam Patali, the Victorian Director of the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance Union, who's been advocating for better support for his members.
4: The federal government support package took too long to be released. And when it finally was, it was really manifestly inadequate and pretty poorly targeted. So in total, we've tallied that around $550 million in direct funding programs to support our industry came through the federal government during the pandemic. Now, whichever way you look at that, certainly compared to other industries, for example, aviation, that figure is just um, entirely inadequate. And if you look at that $550 million, the majority of that is through the RISE fund. Much of that funding is in the form of loans that will need to be paid back at some stage. If we go back to the start of the pandemic, Early 2020, Paul Fletcher, the Arts Minister, promised to provide the sector between $4 and $10 billion worth of assistance. We just don't see that having been delivered.
1: We did reach out to Paul Fletcher's office for comment, but we were told he was busy with the release of his new book. For our guests at least, it's pretty clear that the Melbourne City Council and the Victorian Government have underpinned their survival.
2: The biggest funding that we got was a grant from the Vic government that was uh, distributed through Creative Victoria. That came in response to the SOS campaign, which was done by a lot of venue owners and bookers and all got together. And um, I think Music Victoria helped out with that as well. And that was about 80k and that really helped the bar in particular.
3: The city of Melbourne have been so extraordinarily good to the arts and just made it such a fundamental part of the plan for revival. We have gotten state funding in a way for two years now that we just know it's there. We know it will be there. We trust that they will come to the party when they shut down an industry. And I don't have that trust for the Commonwealth. They'll um, squabble over every last dollar to try and figure out ways that they don't have to pay it, certainly in Victoria. In that way, it feels like foreign aid.
1: The other issue our guests have faced are the ongoing density caps that have kneecapped live venues even when they're out of lockdown.
3: The legal non-pandemic capacity is 150 in the theatre and 150 in the bar. The pandemic capacity is whatever's on the news that morning. I think people always think of the arts as at the forefront of a lockdown. And I think these days everyone's at the forefront of a lockdown. We all lock down together. I think the problem for the arts is that we're on the tail. So we open up again and you're back to one person per four square meters in a cafe or you can head down to retail again. It's quick to return. Whereas for the arts, you know, last lockdown, it took them two weeks of one person per four square meters after the two weeks of zero people per four square meters to get back to 75% capacity, which for a lot of theaters is break even, 75% capacity. So, you know, it's the tail that's the problem. It's not the front end of a lockdown that kills us. It's this tail that just goes on and on and on. And that for the arts is what they need to speed up. That is what they need to
2: fix. Even when we come out of the lockdown, a lot of these music venues are basically still in lockdown. We still can't have bands. It is crushing. um, And specifically, I'd say it's more crushing for the actual artists who've got these launches and these albums out. One of the best things about releasing an album is your album launches. You have a big party, you play a show to a full house, you have all your friends play, and it just gives it a real feeling of accomplishment that it's like, is this baby bird that we're releasing out into the wild. It's not really the same where you just click a button and go, hey, it's on Bandcamp today. There is that feeling of futility of when you rebook a show and this is the fifth time you've rebooked it, but you'd have to just hope that it will open up again at some stage. So you just gotta tell everyone, just keep calm. We'll keep going with the assumption that this show is going ahead until it's not and then we'll find you another date.
1: Although public safety is always paramount when enforcing capacity restrictions, it does seem that some industries were given more support and flexibility to remain open.
3: You can only follow the health advice, right? And that's what we keep hearing. It is strange, though, that the health advice is 50,000 people at the MCG, but 100 in a theatre. You know, that is a substantial difference. You know, it is strange that the health advice is that the AFL can form a bubble to train, but theatres can't form a bubble to rehearse. I think what we're doing here is just valuing sports higher than the arts. That's it.
1: You only need to look at Australia's low COVID death toll to see that the lockdowns have saved thousands of lives. But with vaccination rates now at 80%, we're finally leaving lockdowns behind and opening up for good. And although this is cause for much celebration, there's still a lot of things that need to be figured out. For example, patrons will need to provide proof of vaccination to enter any venue or event, and ongoing capacity restrictions will still be in place for the months to come. So if that's not going to be tough enough, the government now want to end all financial support for the already struggling sector.
2: To have live music enjoyed as it has been, it's got to be the freedom of movement. Until we get to the one per two square metre standing, like being able to move around, that's where we can have shows again at the old bar. That's specifically where where we would be able to make that work.
3: So there's a question around how the funding will continue or not continue at 80%. There's a big problem in the Victorian roadmap at the moment where they haven't defined what happens after 80% double dose. Like, how do we go from fully vaccinated, one person per four square meter shows, to open? If 80% double dose is not the trigger for that, what is? What happens next? All they can say is, at that point, we line up with the national plan. And you look at the national plan, and there's no detail whatsoever.
1: Someone who is trying to fill in the details is Lord Mayor of Melbourne, Sally Capp, who has been working with industry leaders and the government to bring the arts back to Melbourne.
0: Here at the City of Melbourne, we've certainly, through the pandemic, always respected the advice of the health experts and, of course, we have to comply with state government restrictions. We do, though, hear the voices of so many traders wanting to know that we've explored every single avenue for being able to open safely, but sooner, and to be able to welcome more patrons. And of course, for the arts, it's all about audiences uh, and welcoming audiences back. Our nighttime economy advisory committee, which is made up a lot of nighttime venues that support artists, uh, asked us to do advocacy to the state government about trials, to be able to open to more customers safely, sooner, We've put a call out for measures like antigen testing to see if we can actually boost the number of people that can safely attend major events, particularly when they're outside. I think we need to keep putting up these ideas for the government to consider, but at the end of the day, we do need to support the advice of the health experts. I know there's been a lot of frustration, again, amongst the arts sector and really a a lot of new advocacy groups that have been established through this pandemic period to bring the voice of arts to the federal government. From our perspective, we will continue to ask for support for businesses and individuals recognising that this has been the toughest period in our lifetime. When we do start to open up with the roadmap, it's not as though we're going to bounce back to pre-COVID in terms of what we can do and the numbers of people that we can welcome. There will be very cautious steps as restrictions remain in place. And we're certainly calling for more support from state and federal government to keep those measures and consider new ones, um, particularly job creation ones, for ongoing support that's going to be needed. The toughest trading period ever is going to take a concerted combined effort to see us through to the end. We think we can get there definitely, but we need to keep the focus on that support.
1: Sally is also heading up trials across the city to ensure that the technology for vaccine checks and contact tracing works and is going to keep us safe.
0: We think we have unique circumstances, particularly the number of venues and the density of people that we would normally expect to welcome requires some good testing to make sure that we've tried all of the systems and technology that they're proposing to have the least burden on the business. And of course we hope that in time we don't need to check for vaccines either, that we get to a time when we've got enough people vaccinated to be able to move forward confidently, but in the meantime there will be these systems in place. Arts and culture an absolute foundation and pillar of who we are uh, as a city, part of our DNA and therefore is central to our recovery and certainly to our recovery plans and what we're investing in millions of dollars, it's tens of thousands of jobs, it's billions of dollars to our economy that we need to revitalise. But at the core, it's about who we are. And if we want to feel that sense of recovery from the pandemic, it's absolutely going to have arts at the centre of it. While they might not be
1: returning to packed houses and chaotic mosh pits just yet, Kyron and Joel continue to adapt and stay positive in the face of uncertainty.
3: I think just constantly uh, looking for what can be done under the circumstances. And uh, luckily for us, and this is not true of everyone, the circumstances have never been that the best thing to do is to shut shop. It's not to say it won't be. That could well be a situation in the future. It's a constant and will be. A constant ongoing battle. You just gotta look at what's happening today and figure out what the best thing to do is under those circumstances.
2: We will be there. Hopefully, we will have gigs soon. Hopefully, all those shows that I've cancelled will be able to play again. I know that everyone's going to be incredibly. Not ready to stay up till 3am drinking, but we'll all give it a real good crack.
1: As we prepared to publish this episode, live venues were gearing up to reopen in accordance with information posted by the Victorian government. But just days later, the government admitted they'd made a mistake and that live venues would have to wait another few weeks before reopening. Just another blow to venues and arts workers who were desperate to get back to work. If we've learned anything from this pandemic, it's how much the arts bring to our lives. So when the time comes, if you're fully vaxxed and you feel safe to do so, go and be entertained IRL. Not only will you have a great time, you'll be supporting the very industry that got us through this thing in the first place. Resolve is a production of Swivel Media. It's produced by me, Amanda Reedy, Phoebe Zukowski-Wallace and our executive producer, Scotty Allen. Research and fact-checking is by Lauren Fitzgerald. Original music and sound design is by Ash Deneve and our show artwork is by Mark Osmendi. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and leave a positive rating and review to help others find our show. Visit swivelmedia.com, that's swivel with an O, for details on all of our shows and find us on social media for updates and new releases.